So we're just going to be turning to two verses this morning as the anchor for the sermon. Both, I think, fairly familiar verses to us. But if you are somebody who likes to look it up in your Bible and follow along, we're heading to Jeremiah 29 and to Romans 15. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. A future and a hope. And then Romans 15 verse 13 says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Father, we come to a time in your word this morning with an expectancy that you are a God who speaks to your people. And so, Father, we prepare our hearts before you, trusting God that it is your desire to talk to us this morning. God, not just to give us information, but, Father, that we might be changed by your Spirit. So, Father, we thank you for this time. And we say yes to whatever you want to do. Amen. I want to be upfront with you this morning about my sermon. I have wrestled a little bit this week with the fact that it is quite similar to the theme that Andrew preached on last week. And in fact, as I reflect upon it, it's a theme that I feel has come up a number of times over this year. The place that I have settled is that sometimes God likes to repeat himself. And so this morning, I want to bring you a word about hope. And in particular, about choosing to grab hold of hope. I've been deeply stirred in my heart, particularly this year, but not only this year, about what I believe to be a pervasive sense of hopelessness that has started creeping into the body of Christ. I don't want this morning to spend time focusing on any particular heavy issue that surrounds us in this generation. I think that Andrew did a great job over the last three weeks of refocusing our perspective rather than actually focusing on the issues themselves. And that's really what I want to mirror today that we have a firm foundation in the Lord Jesus Christ. What I will say is that when a great shaking is taking place, it is easy to lose our bearings. This year alone, I have had a number of conversations with people 
who have had such a sense of hopelessness about our world that they're not sure that they want to have children because they're not sure about bringing children into a world in the state that ours is in. In some conversations and certainly on social media, if you check that out or written pieces in the media, Christians are often portrayed as being on the losing team. That because our voices seem to be in the minority, and I use the word seem deliberately, that we are somehow powerless. I think that that's why we see so much resisting and reacting in fear amongst Christians. But the fact is we are tuned in to the wrong voice. When we partner with that fear, when we give ourselves over to it, what happens is that it breeds hopelessness. You see, it is a lie that the eternal cause of the kingdom is lost. It is a lie that we are powerless. We serve a God who does the impossible. And our God will not fail in his eternal plans. Hopelessness is based in lies. The lie that there is a power greater than the power of our God and the power of his love. The lie that God is not trustworthy and that he doesn't do what he says. The lie that God is not good. Or even the lie that somehow our, hope, somehow our hopelessness protects us. Because if we have no expectancy or hope, then at least we won't be disappointed. You see, there's a real enemy. He's called the father of lies who would like to steal your hope. And if he manages to steal our hope, he doesn't actually really have to do much else. A loss of hope impedes faith. It steals our joy and our motivation and it makes us heartsick. Now, you could be sitting here today and thinking, no, Catherine, that's not me. I am feeling really hope-filled. And I would say that is awesome because that is how he calls us to live. But you also might be sitting here this morning feeling overwhelmed by the state of the world or overwhelmed by a particular circumstance in your life. Some of you may have a full hope tank some a depleting hope tank and some a completely empty hope tank. But I doubt as human beings sitting in this room today that there is one of us who has not at some point in our lives had to stare down hopelessness. So regardless of what you would rate your hope tank at this morning... I want to encourage you to have ears to listen because it's actually possible to get careless with our hope and even to misdirect our hope. See, hopelessness is a sneaky thing. It starts with disappointment and discouragement, which if left unattended, 
leads to a loss of expectancy and trust that good things will happen. And then in creeps that belief that there is no possibility of change or breakthrough. And that is exactly what hopelessness is. Hopelessness believes there is no possibility for change or breakthrough. That same lying voice that whispered in the garden, did God really say, whispers to us. Now, before you think this is where we are going to camp, it is not. This morning, the good news for us is that today is a good day to get our hopes up, to find our bearings in a world that is being shaken. The Lord's plans for you are good. His plans for you include a future and a hope. As people who follow Jesus, we should be the most hope-filled people on the planet. Our joy is not, uh, sorry, our hope is not something that we just wish for. It's not just wishful thinking. Our hope is the joyful anticipation of good. The joyful anticipation of good because our God is good. Our hope is living and alive because our living hope, the Lord Jesus Christ, is alive. And as believers in him, He is the object of our hope. He is the reason for our joyful anticipation of good things. To quote a song that I'm loving at the moment by Jesus Culture, it's on one of their new albums. It's it's titled Love Has a Name, but one of the um, phrases in the song is hope has a name, breakthrough has a name, victory has a name. It is the name of of Jesus Christ. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, and we have read this this year, he exhorts his readers, set your hope fully on Jesus. He also says that we have been born into a living hope. Because we've been born into a living hope, it means that hope is a part of our inheritance. Part of our inheritance as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is a joyful anticipation of good. Now, I did a little bit of research during the week on the biblical words for hope. Biblical hope is strongly linked to trust, to trusting in God alone, to uh, waiting upon the Lord and hoping in him. But the Hebrew word for hope also includes within its definition the word for a cord or a rope. Maybe all will be revealed about my rope in a minute. This Hebrew word translated for hope interestingly first appears in the Old Testament when it's used for the scarlet cord that Rahab drops through her out of her window to actually be seen to show that she and her household are to be spared because they have put their hope and their trust in the God of Israel and they are delivered 
when all of the rest of the town are slaughtered. I find it interesting that this gives us this picture of hope, that this cord, this rope that brought deliverance and salvation to her family. So the picture of a cord gives this strong picture. I think it's like good imagery for us to have. I love to have visual imagery that helps me to anchor a thought. Maybe you're not a visual person, but I tend to be. And what I think it helps us remember is that hope is something that we are to grab a hold of, that it is something that can anchor us and helps us keep our bearings so that we're not tossed around by the circumstances around us. Hope and trust in God is an anchor for our soul, Hebrews says. But our hope, the Lord Jesus, is not a flimsy bit of string. Our hope is a heavy-duty rope. I keep calling this the hope rope. Then I got to hope on a rope. It, it got worse from there. But I want you to have the visual that our hope is not flimsy. Our hope is heavy-duty. You can pull on this as much as you need to. It will bear your full weight, the full weight of your circumstances, the full weight of the circumstances of our nation and the full circumstances of our world. Because God is on the other end of it. He has you and he is not letting go and he is immovable. The writer to Hebrews puts it this way in chapter 6. And I just will warn you, I am reading a couple of sections out of a paraphrase this morning. You can read it in a proper translation in your own time. And Andrew says he'll pray for me later. <clears throat> and, and Peter. Hebrews 6. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab hold of our promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God where Jesus running on ahead of us has taken up his permanent post as high priest for us. We have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and not let go because it is our unbreakable spiritual lifeline regardless of appearances. I love that. Our hope is not based in our external reality and circumstances. It is not based on what laws are passed or not passed, on who holds political power, on economic forecasts or the ceasing of wars. The loudest opinions are not our source of hope. Living in the lucky country is not our source of hope. A particular job, a marriage partner, a child 
or even the fulfillment of long-held desires and promises. These are not our source of hope. Jesus is our powerful, strong source of hope. He is the anchor for our soul. Now, as Christians, we are obviously not to be ignorant. Hope is not pretending that issues do not exist. But our invitation to hope is to grab hold of the promised hope with both hands and not let it go in the midst of the external circumstances. The world around us is aching for hope. And Jesus is their only hope too. In a season for wrestling for hope, we are actually presented with an opportunity if we'll take it. An opportunity to ask ourselves, where has our hope been anchored other than the person of Jesus Christ? Have we been hanging on to a flimsy bit of string or on to the unbreakable spiritual lifeline of Jesus Christ? As all things get stripped away, we are given a glimpse that perhaps our hope has been anchored in the wrong places. Has our hope been in the Lord or has it been in an outcome? Romans 15.13, I just want to unpack this with you a little bit. We read, may the God of hope. Now, God is described throughout Scripture in many ways, often talking about who he is and his character. And here we have him described as the God of hope. This would suggest that there is no true hope found outside of him that he is the God of hope. He is who we need to go to for hope. It says, The God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Now, joy and peace, they are both fruit of the Spirit. So why joy and peace? Like we want all the fruits of the Spirit in our life. Why particularly joy and peace in this hope context? Well, Ephesians tells us that the shoes for our feet are the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So from that, I think that we can glean that peace brings a readiness, but it also brings a steadiness, like it gives us a sure footing. And then Philippians um, tells us that Christ's peace guards our heart and our minds. Now, we, to keep hold of our peace... Our hearts and our minds definitely need to be guarded. And then joy, well, joy is our strength. Or his joy is our strength. So the God of hope fills you with all the steadiness of peace, guarding our hearts and our minds, and all the strength of joy as we trust and have confidence in him. That's what that word believe means, that we have trust and confidence in him. What I found interesting when I was looking at this scripture is that it doesn't say the God of hope fills you with hope. He fills you 
with all joy and peace so that, that's an important little bridging phrase right there, so that your hope may abound. And that word abound means to overflow. One translation I read even said super abound. So then I had pictures of us all running around with capes with hope emblazoned across the back of them because I like visual pictures. So that your hope may abound, overflow and leak everywhere as we are filled up with all joy and peace. And by what power does this hope overflow? By the power of the Holy Spirit. That word for power there is dunamis, his miracle working power. So our hope has supernatural power backing it. That is good news this morning for us. This is not about us whipping something up, trying to make us feel like something. This verse promises that the God of hope will fill us with all joy and peace so that our hope may overflow by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the source of our hope and we need to grab hold of the hope that he offers us in and out of season, when it's easy and when it's more challenging. So this morning, I just want to finish by looking at three ways in our lives, practically speaking, my favourite phrase, what does this look like? What does this look like in our lives to choose hope, to guard hope in our lives, to grab hold of the hope that Jesus has made provision for us? Three things that I want to bring to your attention this morning. These are not rocket science. These are three fundamental foundational things of living the normal Christian life. Number one, stay in his word. Connect to the narrative of God more than the narrative of the world. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This outlines for us many seasons in the life of God's people that actually were far darker than the season that we're in now. You think about people like Daniel who served a very, very evil king in Nebuchadnezzar and yet shined um, for the Lord in the place that he was positioned. This word gives us eternal hope, the sense that God is consistent and faithful, that he never changes, that he is the same yesterday, today and forever. This word contains substance. It is incorruptible seed filled with promises that are for us as God's people. Now, I have never really been an avid reader, which is weird because I have four daughters who are very avid readers and, well, actually a husband, so that's where they must get it from. But as a teen and a young adult, I don't really have time to read now, but as a teen and a young adult, I did 
periodically read the odd novel. And I have a confession to make. If the plot line seemed to be leading in a particularly discouraging direction, I would read the end of the book to make sure it was worth persevering. <laughs> I know. <gasps> in a season where the world's plot line seems to be heading in a particularly discouraging direction. Have you read the end of the book? Let me read to you from Revelation 7. After this I looked, and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Our God never fails. It is most definitely worth persevering. Feed yourself on his promises. This book is filled with his promises. But as a church, we also believe that God speaks to us directly. Feed on the promises that he has spoken over your life. Feed on the promises that he has spoken over us as a church over many, many years. But in particular, again, this year, just stirring up the prophetic voice again, declaring, I'm coming, get ready. We need to stir ourselves up with the hope that never fails, never fades. I don't know about you, but I try to record most of the words that God has spoken to me. I'm really a very poor journaler. So this year I've taken to calling, calling my journal a God Ideas book because it's just got less pressure associated with it in terms of how regularly I should be writing in it. So in my God Ideas book are the words that he has spoken to me. It's really important for us to feed on his faithfulness in our lives um, some of the words in my God Ideas book are yet to happen. Some of them remind me that I have a secure history with God and he is faithful to do what he says that he will do. So write yours down, whether you call it a journal or a God Ideas book. Write it down and remind yourself of what God has promised. So grab hold of hope by staying in his word. Number two, stay in his presence. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about this. We are a church who highly value the experiential manifest presence of God in our lives. We believe that we can experience and know him intimately. I'm sure that all of us here have experienced times where we've been bowed low with the circumstances of life. And we've come into his presence, whether that is in corporate worship or at home, just worshipping him ourselves or through prayer, that as we've come into his presence, suddenly that weight shifts. The circumstances are still unchanged, but in his presence, everything changes. You see, in his presence, there is no room for hopelessness because he is the God of hope. 
in his presence, we gain a true and clear perspective of just how big our God is. We get to experience his goodness. I love that when Moses asked him, I want to see your presence, and he said, I will let my goodness pass before you. In his manifest presence, we experience his goodness and his faithfulness. In his presence, we find our bearings in this shaking generation. We choose to keep our hopes up when we intentionally seek him. Not for what he can do, not for some outcome, but for who he is. We sang about that this morning. We seek your face, Lord. So grab hold of hope and stay in his presence. And number three, stay connected in community. I think that one of the first strategies that the enemy will use to steal our hope is to try and isolate us. It is in isolation that we are much more susceptible to his lies. When we are engaged in like-minded community, and I use the word engaged, it does take effort, it does take intention, it does take vulnerability to engage in like-minded community. But as we do that, we get to speak hope to one another. We get to share our hope stories. We get to encourage and exhort one another. We get to remind each other of what God promises and who our God is. I don't know about you, but there have been many times in my life where it has actually been the voice of friends and the people I'm in community with who've helped again stir up hope in my life. Encourage means literally to put courage into. And that is what we can do for one another in community. Put courage into one another because, let's face it, to be a hope-filled people does take courage. And the other thing I want to do is I want to challenge you about the way that you're speaking. I'm not talking about avoiding weighty issues or difficult things that face us in the body of Christ in this season. But actually how we frame those things is so important. Are you speaking doom and gloom or are you speaking life? Philippians 4 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about, I'll add in, talk about these things. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. In community, we get to help keep each other's eyes open to hope. So, thirdly, grab hold of hope and stay in community. I want to finish with a familiar passage from 1 Corinthians 13. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, 
see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us towards that consummation. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly and love extravagantly. This passage tells us that even while we only see in part, even while we don't fully understand or see the full scope of his plan, we are to trust steadily, hope unswervingly and love extravagantly, choosing to grab hold of hope. Would you stand this morning? I'm going to finish with a simple prayer this morning, just praying and declaring Romans 15, 13 over us. But I'm aware that we are all in different situations with our hope tanks. And this morning, as I said at the beginning, is a good day for us to get our hopes up. And so this morning, I would really just want to encourage you that this may be a morning for you to step forward and say to God again, I am grabbing hold of hope in you, God. It may not even be that you would describe at the moment that your life feels hopeless. It may just be that you're struggling with disappointment or discouragement. Don't leave it unattended. This morning is a good morning for us to get our hopes up. So let's pray. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound and overflow in hope. Amen. We have a prayer team who would love to stand and pray with you this morning. It may not be around hope It may be around something else. So we would just invite you to come forward, prayer team. I'd love for you to come up here and be ready. Bless you all. I am praying and believing that this will be a hope-filled week for you. Amen.